Exodus chapter 16, verse 22. If you have it, somebody see, yeah. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to read my title very carefully to make sure that I don't curse. Uh, look at your neighbor and say, don't miss the shift. Don't miss the shift. The shift is enunciate that F. Don't miss the shift. There's a, Look at your neighbor say, there's a shift coming. There's a shift coming. There's a shift. There's a shift. Exodus chapter 16, verse 22 says this. And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest. Somebody say rest. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning as Moses commanded and it did not stink. That's good. Nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, eat that today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Oh, that'll preach. There ain't no miracles to find today. Come on, the miracle was yesterday. The miracle's not today. Why are you looking for yesterday's miracle in today's moment? Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now it will happen. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. It's amazing how we still think murder is a sin. We still think steal. We still think murder is a sin, right? Yeah. It, it was. It was a little. It was a little quiet. Well, Pastor, depends on the circumstances. Okay, if his dog's on my grass, it's fair game. We still think stealing is a sin. We still think lying is a sin. But that whole honor the Sabbath is just one of those. It's, tell somebody, it's in the top 10. It's in the top 10. It's in the top 10. It's not the nine commandments. It's the 10. But one of them we think is optional. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. God, we're thankful. God, we say here is our worship. And God, our worship is not just a song. Our worship is a surrendered life. Our worship is our attention locked on you. And God, we pray that you'd respond to the praises of your people by showing up, by speaking, by transforming, by doing what only you can do. And we'll be ever so careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise in the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Come on, somebody shout amen and amen and amen. I had a, uh, a very short career I didn't have a career because nobody paid me, but I had a very short stint, probably about 10 years of my life, 
where I was playing classical piano. This was before I switched to gospel or anything else. My dad had me learning classical piano. I was playing Mozart and Beethoven and all this other kind of stuff. And I was kind of going down memory lane and looking through some of the old stuff. And I came across what is the most infamous or famous symphony of today. And I learned the name of it in German. Let's see if we could do this. It's Ein Klein. That's not a little Jamaican Klein. <laughs> Jamaican German. Ein Klein Nach Music. If you're German, don't at me. I did the best that I can. Or also called Serenade Number no. 13. Now, you may not know it by its name, but as soon as you hear it, I think we actually have a little segment of it. As soon as you hear it, you'd recognize it. Now, you may not recognize it as Mozart. You may recognize it as, oh, that's the scene from Charlie's Angels or that's the scene from Home Alone or whatever it may be. But this has been the most played symphony, the most famous symphony ever written by Mozart. And one of the reasons why it is the most famous is because of its musical complexity dexterity, the way that it was composed actually was in four different, I feel like we're like at the opera right now. Okay, cut it, cut it, cut it. It was actually composed in four different what they call movements. And a movement is a different section of the same song written to a different tempo, a different feel, a different pace. One, the first movement is called Allegro, Allegro, and it's a brisk kind of up-tempo type of beat that then you move into, and it's more of a, a, a minuet, learning all these words just for this message, right? And then it ends with a brisk rondo, as they call it. And what makes the music so captivating is its unpredictability. That right as you're caught up in one tempo and in one pace, the, the composer will, will move his baton and, and instantly the orchestra will shift and he'll move into something that's a lot more reflective. And then up goes the tempo again. And it literally is the composer's job to prepare the orchestra for where the music is going next. And if you've ever heard an amazing orchestra, they are in perfect synchronization, moving at the exact same pace and moment. You ever went to one of your children's recitals and heard the violins playing one thing and the cellos playing something else? And, and you know this is a cacophony. Can, can, I, can, I, can I preach this just for a second? God has been composing your life before the beginning of time. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, the Bible says that he knew you, that he called you, that he orchestrated, that he ordered your steps. And you've got to understand there is nothing that man can do here on earth that is beautiful, that is an amazing experience that they did not get from God Almighty. If a, a composer knows that the same tempo, the same feeling, the same experience becomes redundant and easily ignored. How much more does your heavenly father know that there needs to be allegro seasons of your life? There needs to be minuet seasons of your life. There needs to be brisk rondo seasons of your life. I feel like I'm like educated today. I don't know. There's different seasons and paces of your life. And watch this. The Holy Spirit is the onboard conductor. That is warning you, a shift is coming. A tempo change is coming. 
There's something that the composer has written in your story that's unpredictable, that's not the same as you've been walking with. And hear me, if we're not locked into the conductor of our soul, we're going to be playing yesterday's movement in today's section. That's what happened in Exodus as Moses came to the children of Israel. They had been led out of bondage in Egypt into the wilderness. And, and, and it's amazing how before you have a complaint, God has a miracle. And I'm not preaching to you. I've just got to remind myself, hey, Stephen, before you have a pity party about what's not going right in your life, just look at the children of Israel and know that God had a miracle before they had a problem. And here they go complaining to God, we have no bread to eat, we have no meat to eat. And he said, okay, every morning when you go out, there's going to be bread called manna from heaven, also known as Krispy Kreme donuts. You can gather as much as Krispy Kreme donuts without the calories. That's how you know it's a miracle. And every night, there's going to be quail waiting for you, also known as Chick-fil-A or Raisin Cane's chicken strips. But look what God told the children of Israel. There's a certain way I need you to deal with this miracle. And the miracle cannot be dealt with the same way every single day. He said, for the first five days of this miracle, I need you to gather only enough for today. Come on, can we preach the word of God? Give us this day our daily bread. He said, for five days, I need you to gather just enough for that day. Why? Because I need you to trust that the God who did the miracle today will be the God who'll do it tomorrow. He said, but on the sixth day, I need you to make sure that you gather enough for two days. Why? Because a day of rest, the Sabbath day is coming. And if you gather two days worth, I promise you, it is going to be enough for two days. He said, on the seventh day, hear me, do me a favor, don't go out there. Don't go out there because I won't be out there. There's nothing out there to gather. This is the day to rest. This is the day that I'm going to multiply yesterday's work to sustain you today. But as you know, as you read scripture, Israel, they had issues. We don't have issues. Israel has issues. We always obey God. We do exactly what he tells us to do. We're always in the right season. It's Israel with the issues because when God said gather one day, they said, I'm not quite sure, God, if you're going to be here tomorrow. So even though he said gather one day, I'm going to make sure I gather two days worth. They gathered two days worth, and on the second day, what they gathered yesterday, the Bible said it had worms in it. It, it stagnated. It spoiled because yesterday's miracles don't work for today. And then on the sixth day, they went out, and they did gather two days worth of miracles on the sixth day because we always have the propensity to take more. We never have the propensity to take less. It doesn't take much faith to take more. It takes faith to take less. And then here's what's amazing. On the seventh day, Moses said they went and they looked at what they gathered for six days, and it was enough, and they still went out. Even though they had enough, they still went out looking for more manna and more quail, even though God told them it's not going to be out there. And Moses said, you guys are missing it. God is shifting every single day, and you're missing the shift. And you're wondering why there's worms. I just wonder how many shifts we've missed and don't realize that there's not worms in that situation. God says that relationship, that friendship was yesterday's miracle. 
Those are the people that I brought into your life yesterday to move you to where I've called you to be. Now I've shifted to a different place and you're committed to yesterday's miracles and you wonder why there's worms in that friendship. You wonder why? I don't know what it is. Every time I share something with them that I don't want the world to know, it just seems to keep leaking out to other people and you're blaming that person and you don't realize that God's moved on from that relationship. Come on now. You've got this job that was yesterday's miracle and it really was a miracle from God. Yesterday. And now I can't seem to find favor. I can't seem to find open doors. It's stressing me out. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm completely exhausted. And I'm, I'm waiting for a season to come. And hear me, the season ain't coming. The season has passed because God has shifted from that. And it's because we don't realize that God does not do the same thing every day. He literally is a conductor saying, hold on, there's an allegro moment coming to your marriage. Pick it up. You, you, you can't be walking at the pace that you used to walk at. You can't be dating at the pace you used to be dating at. You, you can't be listening to your spouse at the pace you used to listen at. This season requires a little bit more briskness in your relationship. But here we are thinking it's just same old, same old. And wondering why. There, there, there's seasons in parenting. There's seasons when our kids need us to be a disciplinarian, not their friend. Come on now. And then there's seasons that our kids need us to be their coach, not their dictator. If you always tell your kids what to do when they leave the house and they've not been able to make one decision on their own before they, some of y'all nodding your head. I grew up in the house. I didn't get to make one decision. And then what happened? You left your house and you made every decision wrong. <laughs> there, there's, there's seasons to our finances. And if we're not aware of how God is constantly shifting, we will find ourselves playing yesterday's movement in today's symphony. And some of our lives are a complete cacophony because we've missed that God is doing something new and I'm not aware of it. I've had this practice and here's why I'm preaching this today. I, I, I spend every end of the year and I'm so grateful for my wife to let me do this on a two or three day retreat where I'll literally just get away. I'll go to a hotel, grab a friend, say, hey, let's go hang out. And I'm just going to spend some time praying, hear from God, hearing from God, asking myself some specific questions of God. What are you getting ready to do? What does this next season of my life look like? And how can I make sure I am prepared for what you are getting ready? You ever heard people say experience is a great teacher? I learned it from um, Dr. John Maxwell. He said experience is a horrible teacher. He, he said evaluated experience is a good... Listen, you... Okay, we're not talking about you. We're talking about your cousin, okay? It's not you. It's just because my cousin's in the room, not that cousin, the other cousin. <laughs> you ever met people that make the same mistake and they just change their names? <laughs> same mistake. You keep picking the worst job that jobs can be picked. Over and over. You've had four different jobs. You've had the same problem and same misery at every different job. Why? Because you're not pausing long enough. Come on. I'm, I'm trying to be nice. Not trying to be mean. But how long has that been on your goals at the beginning of the year? 
How long has that been on your vision board at the beginning of the year and coming to the end of the year? This year we're getting out of debt. No, you're not. Unless I step back and evaluate. What am I doing? What do I need to shift? What do I need to change to stay in tempo with the hand of God? Let me just give you just three thoughts. Three thoughts. The first thing is this. My words and heart determine my next. My words and heart determine my next. And I wrote it out so I, I could give it to you the same way the Lord gave it to me. Genuine gratitude and humility prepares me for the next God is doing in my life. Genuine, not, not fake, not I'm churchy so I know how to say thank you God. No, genuine gratitude and humility prepares me for the next that God is getting ready to do in my life. In Luke chapter 17, verse 7, Jesus answered and said to them, where they're not 10 cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found in return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to them, arise, said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. You may or may not know the story. There were 10 lepers that came to Jesus. Nine of them were of the same descent, of the Jewish descent of God. One of them, I believe, was Sumerian, was a foreigner. And Jesus healed all 10 of them. Nine of them, as soon as they got healed, they ran, understandably, to see their family that they probably had not seen for years, to be in their community. They had been outcasts for years and years and years because of their plight. And when they received a miracle from God, they ran off with the miracle. And one came back and said, man, I never thought this would be possible. It says he fell on his face and he said, Jesus, thank And, and you know what's wild? Jesus was not surprised by his gratitude. I dare say he wasn't even impressed by his gratitude. He was disgusted by the lack of gratitude with the other nine. And, and look, we said, where are the other nine? Did I not heal 10? And he said, the one that should not have come back because he's not even of the chosen people is the one that came back. And he said, arise, your faith has made you that word well is our word so-so, where we get the word salvation. He said, because you, don't miss this. He said, because you came back with gratitude, you received the next thing that I wanted to do in your life. Could it be that God had this whole plan? I'm going to heal their body from an incurable disease. When they see that I can work miracles, they're going to come back and say thank you. And when they come back and say thank you, I'm then going to introduce them to eternal life and salvation through me. But because they took the one miracle and ran with it, wow. they, the first miracle is always a test miracle. The first time God moves supernaturally in your life, trust me, it's God testing you. Can I trust you with what I really have for you? Or are you going to run off and hold on to the one thing that I did for you? And when he came back, he said, okay, now I can do what I really want to do in your life and make you whole. I've discovered that a heart of gratitude is what positions me for all that God has for me. So one, one of the things I'll do when I, when I go on these year-end retreats is I'll grab my phone. And I'll start in January, and I'll just start scrolling through all the pictures that I took throughout the year. And I'll just write down the significant moments, because you tend to take pictures of significant moments. 
So here's the children's birthday, and here's the anniversary, and here's Easter Sunday, where we saw over a thousand people give their life to Jesus. And, and I'll just write January, here's five or six things that happened, February, five or six things. Uh, and I remember one year I was doing this, and if I'd be honest with you, it was a discouraging year for me. It was a year full of warfare. It was a year I was just overwhelmed, didn't hit the goals that I wanted to hit that year. It was literally the last week of December, and I'm going through all these pictures and just writing down these significant moments, and something struck me. It says, Stephen, of all the bad days you had this year, all the days where you were overwhelmed, frustrated, hopeless, none of those hopeless days did you take one picture. He said, the only day you took pictures were the days where I blessed you. And he said, look how much I've blessed you. You've been obsessing over what didn't go right this year to the point where you missed all these significant moments. And I remember in that moment just repenting, saying, God, this year wasn't as bad as I thought it was. God, this year, even though that didn't happen and that didn't happen, here's a miracle and there's a miracle and there's your favor and there's your favor and there's your favor and there's your favor. A heart of gratitude and humility positions me for the next thing that God is calling me to do. Hear me, life is full of shifts. I remember when I became the senior pastor of what is now Union Church, I was actually the student pastor of my dad's church at the time. And we would go out to different high schools. We would have Bible studies in the high school after school every single day. Listen, we were gangster with our Bible studies. We would wait to, when the school bell rang for the last moment in class, we were right there at the door. Doors would open. We had Papa John's pizza, eight, nine, ten boxes in a row, walking down the hallway. You know these greedy little kids. They're just like, hey, can I get some pizza? Can I get some pizza? I said, you want pizza? Come to Bible study. We had over 200 kids in three different high schools in these Bible studies. Took us three years for principals to open the door, and then I become the senior pastor of the church, and I'm kind of straddling between two worlds. So I'm in the high school still leading the Bible studies because it took a miracle from God for us to get in there to be able to preach the gospel. But yet I'm still trying to lead this church that God has given me, and my dad comes to me and he says, Stephen, you can't do both. He said, if you continue to go to those high schools, you're going to neglect your responsibilities as a senior pastor. And I always tell this story because it's where I came up with the turn, the Messiah complex. I said, Dad, I can't abandon those kids. And my dad said, did you die for them? I said, last time I checked, Jesus is the one who died for them. Last time I checked, you didn't send you to them. Jesus sent them, you to them, which means he can send somebody else. I acted to shift from the one miracle that God had done to the next miracle that he was going to. And here's what I've discovered. Every time Union Church has grown, I've had to shift. I've had to shift from student pastor to senior pastor. I've had to shift from senior pastor to CEO. I've had to shift from CEO to real estate and development. It's to the point now where I'm shifting three or four times in one day. I'm literally prophet, preaching, step out, CEO. Come on now. And what you may not realize is you've got to shift every day of your life as well. Come on now. You may be the boss at work. Try going home and being that boss. Let me know how that works out for you. You will, Hey, 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 can you get my coffee? Your spouse looking at you like, listen, you might want to go out and come back in and try it at it. Not funny, but you ever ran across people who, who have not shifted? It, it is not funny, but it's all the way funny. It always happens when the mama's baby gets locked up. 
Come on out. Here he is. Triple homicide and <laughs> robbed 17 different banks. He's going to jail for life. They interviewed a mama. That's not who my baby is. My baby's such a good boy. Ma'am, he ain't been a baby for 25 years. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Ah, I leaked it. Okay, I jumped ahead. Y'all ready for this? Her vocabulary didn't shift. He's been my baby. He ain't a baby. He a grown criminal. <laughs> if you're going to shift into what God is doing next, your gratitude and your heart is what prepares you for that shift. But hear me, your gratitude and your heart comes out of your mouth. Here's what happened in the children of Israel. They shifted from bondage to freedom. Hear me. But they never shifted from freedom to possession. They shifted out of bondage into freedom, but they were never able to take the next shift out of freedom, wandering around in the wilderness, into possessing the land that God had for them. Here's why. Because when they physically shift, their vocabulary did not. So... Their body shifted to freedom, but their vocabulary was still in bondage. So what did they say? Well, back, back when we were in bondage, we had meat to eat. We, we had, back when we were in bondage, we, we're not going up to meet God on the mountain because the last God we knew, Pharaoh, he wasn't for us. We're, their vocabulary never shifted. And because their vocabulary never shifted, hear me. They miss. If I'm going to remain in a position of gratitude and humility, hear me, it's got to come out of my mouth. Uh, so one of the things I do at the end of the year is I start to evaluate my words. Stephen, do you talk more about what did not go right or do you talk more about what God has done? Is your, is your vocabulary one of entitlement of God still owes me? Or is your vocabulary one of humility? I can't believe he's using me. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 says this. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if, if there is anything praiseworthy, watch this, obsess over it. Uh, Sometimes you could just take one verse and you don't got to move over that. How much time do I spend obsessing over what's praiseworthy? How much time do I spend obsessing over my last problem and my next mountain? If I'm going to be positioned to shift into the next that God has for me, my heart and my words have to be one of gratitude and humility. It's not just my words, but my ability to trust. They gathered two days worth when he said only to gather one day. Why? Because they were not sure that the God who was with me today is going to be with me tomorrow. Write, write this down. My, my discipline determines my destiny. My discipline determines my destiny. I cannot entertain yesterday's character issues with where God is taking me tomorrow. So the first thing I'm evaluating when I'm stepping back on this retreat is I'm saying, God, how are my words? How's my heart? Is it a heart of gratitude? Is it a heart of thanksgiving for what you've done? Or is it a heart of complaining and entitlement? The second thing I'm evaluating is what did I used to do yesterday that ain't going to work tomorrow? 
What habits have I not yet made a part of my life that's going to keep me from the best that God has for me? In Luke chapter 2, verse 51, it says this. Then he, being Jesus, went down with them and came to Nazareth, watch this, and was subject to them. But his mother cherished, kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and now, this is a story where uh, Mary and Joseph, they visited the temple and they were there doing their sacrifices. And when they went home, Jesus lingered behind. They finally come back and they find Jesus. Mary said, how could you do this to me? Jesus at 12 or 13 said, I must be about my father's business. Watch this. It means he knew who he was. He didn't wake up at 30 and be like, oh my gosh, I'm the king of kings and the Lord of lords. No, he knew that at 12. He knew what God had called him to do. He knew the power of God that was on his life. He knew that he was the son of God. He said, I must be about my father's business. And it says that Mary cherished in her heart all that was spoken over him about the future. And then watch this. Creator, creator made a decision to obey created. We think 12-year-old boy, of course he's going to obey his mom and dad. No, 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 no. This is the king of kings and the Lord of lords who fully know who, who he was. Said he subjected himself. He made a decision. I am going to obey the ones that I created. Which is just a side note for a side addendum. If you struggle to submit to the authority that God has placed over you, it's not because of their incompetence. It's because of your arrogance. Because you being more anointed, more competent, more intelligent than the boss God put you under has nothing to do with you submitting to, okay, stop. Anyway, move on. It says, and Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God. And man, look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor because I'm tired of being ignorant. Can you look at your neighbor and be ignorant for me? Just look at your neighbor and tell him, you ain't Jesus. Come on, you ain't. Just, tell, go, type, type it in the chat. Type it in the chat. Just, just let's, I, I don't know who needs to hear this. If Jesus had to submit to somebody to maximize his potential, if Jesus had to grow in wisdom, if Jesus had to grow in stature, we think favor is this osmosis thing that God just puts on us. Apparently, favor is something I can grow in. If Jesus had to grow in wisdom, stature, and favor to step into the next thing that God had for him, how much more do I need to grow? So every year I'm stepping back and I'm saying, God, what, 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 what are the pr practices that I had yesterday that are not going to serve me tomorrow? What, what, what are the, what's the time wastage? What's the attitude problems? What's the three days of funk I get into when the miracle doesn't work out when I want it to work out? God, what's the things inside of me that I've got to grow out of to step into the... I feel like this is one of those master classes again because most Christians don't think like this. Most Christians, all the responsibility is on God to give me this great life. And they never look and say, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Have I positioned myself to know when God is shifting to the next thing? It says he grew in wisdom. You know what wisdom is? It's your ability to apply knowledge. A lot of people have knowledge, but they don't know where to put it to move their life forward. Wisdom is not just I know what to do. Wisdom is I do 
what I know what to do. So knowledge is don't swipe this credit card. <laughs> Come on now. Wisdom is I'm not even going to pull it in my wallet. Because if it's in my wallet, it's going to get swiped. I'm going to take it off my Apple Pay. It says he grew in wisdom. Part of I need to be ready for what God is doing next is I got to stop back and say, how wise were my decisions? I knew what to do, but did I do it? And if I keep not doing what I know to do, why would I expect to be ready when God is ready to shift in my life? Watch this. It says he didn't just grow in wisdom, but he grew in stature. You know what stature is? Stature is confidence of who God made you and what he's placed in your life. And a lot of us do not realize I'm not growing in stature. I'm growing in people pleasing. I figured out what people like in me. And I'm constantly giving them over and over and over what they like. They like my humor. They like my problem solving. They like this. They like that. They like this. And I've grown in my ability to make people happy, but I have not grown in my ability of knowing who God's called me to be and being fully confident in who God's called me to be. Can, can, can I help you out with something? People will always try to recreate themselves in you. So if you keep on giving people what they want, all you're doing is being a great clone of them when God has called you to be a disruptor. God has called you to be something that they have never seen or thought or imagined. God is calling you to be a solution to the problem. So if I live my life giving people what they want from me, instead of God, who have you called me to be? I, I, I heard it said before, if Ford gave America what they wanted, he had given them a, a faster horse and carriage. And instead of giving them a faster horse and carriage, he gave them a car and changed the world. God says, I didn't put you on this planet to give people what they asked you for. I gave you the planet to put them the gift, the ability, the talent that I've placed inside of you. Jesus was okay disappointing people because he grew in stature. And then it says, finally, he grew in favor. You know, we, we act like favor is... You know, we preach favor ain't fair. We preach that because we think we have favor. And we act like favor is just God going eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Catch a, somebody by the toe. God's favored this person. God's favored that person. I asked my mom one time. I said, she is, she is five, there's five of us, five children. I said, mom, which one's your favorite? She gave the most genius answer ever. I said, Mom, do you have a fairy? She said, I definitely have a favorite. I said, who's your favorite? I knew it was me. I mean, I'm a mama's boy. She said, my favorite who is whoever is listening to me at the time. Whoever one of y'all, ratchet children, I'm like, you raised me, is doing what I tell them to do. That's my. How do I gain favor? I gain favor through obedience. I gain favor through serving. I gain, how do I gain favor with man? By putting their needs above my needs. How do I gain favor with God? By putting his will above my will. So if nobody, why do I always get into these honest moments? If nobody likes you, it's probably because you're not serving anybody. If nobody's going out of their way to open doors for you and to push your life forward, it's probably because you have not been a blessing to their life. 
And it said God took a season where he had to grow in wisdom and he had to grow in stature and he had to grow in favor so that when his God moment came, he was ready. Hear me. When God is ready to move, it's too late to get ready. And by the way, when the shift comes, you won't see it coming. Isaiah 43, 19, you guys know this. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall bring forth, shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness. He said, when I get ready to shift in your life, the natural environment around you is not going to make sense. It's not going to give you a heads up. A shift is coming. That's why you've got to be ready before God is doing something new. I remember it, 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 me, me and Zai were dating at the time. It was our first New Year's Eve. Uh, you may have heard this story before. We, went to, we were in New Year's Eve service, y'all. So we were, we were in the house of God. Don't judge me. We were in the house of God, New Year's Eve. After church, church ended like 1, 1.30 in the morning. We went to a Korean barbecue spot in town with a whole bunch of people from the church. And we stayed there till like 4 in the morning. Four in the morning, I'm dropping her back off at the house. She's exhausted because we're up to four in the morning. I'm exhausted. And I'm like, babe, can you stay awake? And she's like. <sighs> so I'm driving. If I'd be honest, I was asleep. She was asleep. I was asleep. The car was just moving. Watch this. We were fine as long as there were no curves in the road. We made, I mean, it was probably 40 minutes we were driving. Me sleep, she sleep, never ran off the road. We were three minutes away from the, her house getting ready on the off. And as soon as there was a curve in the road, that's when my lack of rest affected my ability to shift as the road was shifting. I was so mad, y'all. I had that car for 30 days. Ran the thing off the road, totaled it in a ditch. Do you know how difficult it is to call the insurance company? And tell them you totaled a car on New Year's Eve and you weren't drunk, you weren't partying. Listen, that was a hard one to sell. My lack of rest. Don't miss this. My lack of rest caused me to miss the shift that God was bringing in my life. What did Israel do? Gathered food for five days. Gathered food on day six. On day seven, when God said to, I don't need rest. I don't trust God to do a miracle today, so I'm going to go out and do it in my own strength. And when they should be resting, they ran out to work, and then they were surprised when they missed that God was shifting from freedom into possession. Part of what I do at the end of the year is I sit back and I say, Stephen, did you rest properly? Yes, did you manage your time well? You, were you disciplined in your relationships? Did you grow? But did you rest to the level where if God wanted to say something to you, you would have heard? Yeah. Or were you so at mental capacity that there was no margin in your life? I probably shouldn't quote Kanye or um, the rest of those guys. Oh, John Mayer. Kanye and John Mayer have an interview. And they said, listen, all creatives, fight for your margin more than anything else. Now, here's people, believers or not, we're not going to argue that right now, but they know my greatest creativity comes at the margin of my life. Can, can I shift that? The greatest sensitivity to God's voice comes in the margin of my life. If I'm open in the morning, dropping the kids off at school, running to seven different meetings, back, taking care of this, taking care of that, taking care of this, taking care of this. If God wanted to speak a shift in my life, where would he say it is? Come on now. Just think about your phone right now. How many missed messages you got on your phone right now? Voicemails, 
I was so scared, y'all. I had my emails, unread emails with 666. I said, the devil is a liar. I'm going to add email. I'm going to respond to an email. We, go, we are not going to have this. How many missed messages from God? Because I'm running, running, running. Last thing is this. Y'all could come play. I'm done. My detachment from yesterday opens my tomorrow. My detachment from yesterday. Okay, once again, I just got to read it because the way God gave it to me, it was good too good, too good to mess up. Y'all ready for this? Yesterday's miracle becomes today's idol if I don't keep my eyes locked on Jesus. Yesterday's miracle becomes today's idol if I don't keep my eyes locked on Jesus. Joshua 5.12, then the manna ceased. On the day after they had eaten the produce of the land and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. Watch this. Israel went from not trusting that God could do a miracle the next day. Let me gather everything today because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. By the way, that's the mindset that keeps us from tithing. When God who provides our job and we say we're not giving you the first 10% of our income, what we're saying is, God, you did a miracle today, but I don't know if you're going to do the same miracle tomorrow. They went from not trusting that God is good and that he's going to do a miracle to actually expecting the man is going to be here every morning. And the man is going to be here every night. And God says, no, 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 no. The manna was a miracle to sustain you in one movement of the symphony. And we're getting ready to move out of the hustle movement into the minuet, a, a, a light waltz. God says, if you don't know how to let go of yesterday's miracle to prepare yourself for what I'm getting ready to do in this next day of your life, you're going to miss what I'm doing. First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. And the sons of Issachar, watch this, who had understanding of the times. I know what God's doing. To know what Israel ought to do. It says there was 200 of them. You read chapter 12 of 1 Chronicles. There were 6,000 carpenters. 3,600 minstrels. They're, they're listing off all the thousands of gifts and talents and abilities that were found in Israel. And they said all these thousands of people, only 200, knew what God was saying. And what they should be doing in the season that God is doing. Most people don't even know when there's a shift in their natural life. My prayer is, God, I want to know what you, God, what, what are you doing? So here's how I end my time with God. I'll write down what I want to see happen in the next 12 months of my life. Well, aren't you here to hear from God? Yeah, but he's given me the mind of Christ. So I'm going to write, God, in, in 2024, I'm believing that Union Church is going to go to this level. God, I'm believing this for my children in 2024. I'm believing this for, for my marriage. I'm believing this for my finance. I'm, I'm, I'm just writing this. Boom, 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 boom. And then when I'm finished writing what I think or what I want God to do, then I close that book and I spend time in God's presence. And I said, okay, God, correct me. God, what is it, what is it that, that you want? Hear me, if you are going to recognize when God is shifting in your life, we've got to make a decision. I'm going to make room for God. I love Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. You don't have to put it up. He said, I'm going to watch to see what he's going to say to me when I am corrected. 
which means I got a plan for my life, but I'm submitting. God, here's my marriage. I know what I want 2024 to look like, but God, what do you want it to look like? God, here's my kids. Here's my finances. Here's my ministry. I'm submitting every area. God, would you give me wisdom? Give me discernment of what you're doing and how you would have me respond in this season. And here's what I've discovered. When I end my year like this, two things happen. I always realize God did more for me in the last 12 months than I realized. I always begin to dream for the next 12 months on a level that I had never dreamt before. And I always see God exceed anything that I've written, anything that I've prayed, or anything that I've imagined. Here's what I know for a fact, not because I know you, but because I know my God. He's not about to repeat 2023 and 2024. I try to be nice and then I end up being me. If it repeats, it's you, not him. If it repeats, it's because he went on to the next movement and you're still playing the last one. My prayer is, God, as you shift, I'm shifting with you. And I'm not even waiting for the shift. I'm going to prepare myself now for the bend in the road so I can maximize all that you have for me. Father God, we're grateful. God, we're thankful that you're a God that does a new thing. You're a God that takes us from glory to glory to glory. God, you're doing things in our life that we didn't even ask for, that we didn't even pray for, but that is who you are, an exceeding abundantly above type of God. So God, we're praying in this moment, God, that you would God, give us a heart to receive. Give us discernment to know what you are doing in this season. Come on, right where you are, in your kitchen, your living room, driving in your car, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And just give God a moment to make this time to make this message personal to you. I know for all of us, we could go to another level of gratitude. We can discipline ourselves, not just to obsess over what's not going right, but to come back and to say thank you, to have the posture of humility. For some of you, you've missed the first shift that Jesus has for you. And that's the shift out of bondage into freedom. That's the shift out of being an orphan into being a child of the Most High God. What God's asking you today is, will you surrender your life to him? Maybe you were walking with Jesus at a period of your life and just somehow life got you off track. Or maybe you just tuned in, you're new to this whole faith thing. And you didn't even know that God knew you or had a plan for your life. Well, he does. And he's waiting for you to respond to his love. Wherever you find yourself, you say, Pastor, that's me. I need Jesus to be the center of who I am, right? Where you are, can you pray this prayer? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for orchestrating, for for writing, for directing my steps for my good. Thank you for coming to earth, dying on a cross, shedding your blood. All of my sin, all of my mistakes can be erased. In this moment, I surrender. I give you all of me. Be my Lord, be my Savior, and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, can you celebrate for every single person that just made the great?